Welcome to Present Company, the Netflix podcast that brings you dynamic conversations with exceptional people behind your favorite series, films, documentaries, and specials. I'm your host, Krista Smith. For years, I was Vanity Fair's ambassador to Hollywood, interviewing countless actors as well as creatives and authorities across the spectrum. My passion is talent, any form of it. How do you know you have it? How do you cultivate it? How do you protect it? And also, I want to get to the heart of what drives it. On this podcast, I'll be talking to people in Hollywood and far beyond. Thank you for joining me. Hello, listeners. How are you all doing out there? I hope you're staying sane, and more importantly, I hope you're staying safe and healthy and sheltering in place. I certainly am. In fact, I am in my bedroom closet, which has become my de facto podcast studio. And who would have thought that clothes actually make excellent soundproofing? Anyway, I am here to bring you this interview with someone that is very important to me, who also happens to be one of my oldest and closest friends in the world. Actress, writer, producer, director, Rashida Jones. We're going to be talking about Rashida's brand new show, Hashtag Black AF, otherwise known as Black As Fuck, which is from the amazing mind of Kenya Barris. He's the creator of Blackish and also Grownish. It's loosely based on his own family, and he also stars in it. He and Rashida play husband and wife. They have six children. It's about race, relationships, parenting, money. I could not stop watching it, and I couldn't stop laughing. We're also going to talk about Rashida's own creative journey, from being a struggling actress and second-guessing her own choices to then her success in film and with shows like Parks and Rec, and also some of the important relationships along the way. And, of course, we're going to discuss her father, the living legend, Mr. Quincy Jones. And if you haven't seen Quincy, the documentary that Rashida co-wrote and co-directed about her dad, that's also streaming on Netflix, and you should definitely watch it. It's worth your time. All right. So sit back, settle in, do the dishes and the cleaning. That's what I've been doing a lot of. Do whatever you're doing in your quarantine. Um, And I really hope you enjoy this interview. Here is Rashida Jones. Rashida Jones in the house. This is exciting. This is awesome for me because... Full disclosure for our listeners, we've known each other a long time. Uh, 20 plus years. 20 plus years. And we really are friends. <laughs> uh, not I, Hollywood friends. Not actual a, friends. Right. Not Hollywood friends. Actual friends. True. So I had to go back and look at it. I was like, I need a timeline because for me, I have my own emotional timeline that may or may not be your emotional timeline to things. But it was interesting to go and kind of look at the actual years. Yeah. Give me the mile. I want to know the milestones. The milestones when stuff happened, like graduated from Harvard, Boston Public. Somehow nylon doesn't make the cut. The New York... London for, it's show weird for like five people it does yeah but that didn't make the the timeline um obviously being cast in the office and Perkins in uh oh, I thought you Parks were going to do Rec. our timeline no I'm talking about your okay. timeline okay. that I had to figure out our okay. timeline <laughs> I know exactly our timeline yeah. real food daily <laughs> when we first met correct and then lots of lots of hang time at um your your house mm-hmm. in West Hollywood mm-hmm um, 
other other things that won't be mentioned. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. <laughs> and then uh, you 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 like gave me gave me my break, mm-hmm. put me in a vanities mm-hmm. when I was twenty eight. Mm-hmm. I was in a car. Yep. We uh, liked you in cars. We put you in Kadada. Yeah, in a car there's a lot too. of cars with me and Vanity Fair. <laughs> and you and, and, and uh, if you haven't seen it, anybody who's listening, you have to look up when we did the Hollywood cover when you were in that Tom Ford dress. Mm, best thing I've ever worn. fit like a glove. I know. Feeding cougars or... To baby tiger. Baby tiger. Yeah, who was very cute and very aggressive. Very That's cute. one of my favorite Hollywood covers. It's I have to beautiful. say, just for the lineup and and what we were trying to achieve mm. of like singer poor right before the fall or some <laughs> imaginative movie set we were creating. Yeah, it's it was great. I've like never looked better. So thank you. Yeah, you look pretty good. Uh, in doing my research and like reading about like what what's been written about you and it's interesting in your interviews you there was this one thing that kind of caught me about you wanted to maybe leave the business and going back to school for public policy and all that stuff and I remember us having that conversation and I was always like no 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 you're more than just the actress like you're something bigger and you have all these other facets and I could never pinpoint it exactly but I remember having that pep talk with you. Yeah. Like just not that I'm not for education, but it was more like hold the line. Like right. there's there's bigger things than Boston Public. It was like right after Boston Public yeah. and before. I remember I actually was just talking about this to a young friend who's, you know, in their 20s and looking for identity and meaning and confused. And I was like, I have a friend who told me when I was 25 that she saw me and she believed in me and saw what I was going to be and it was bigger than I thought it was going to be and there was something about that moment that was so defining and crystallizing for me in a way that it made it easier to navigate all the nonsense of being an actress a young actress and feeling competitive and feeling insecure um because like you did you saw something in me Mm -hmm. that I didn't see in myself in a way that like now I can kind of understand it looking back. But at the time, I was like, no, but I just want to get that one part in that Ryan Phillippe movie. Mm-hmm. Like, don't tell me that I, like, I'm, I'm made for more because I don't know what that means, you know. Um, and I was like, just, you, got, you have to have somebody who tells you that. Like, you have to have somebody who can be a bit of your life oracle, who's a, who really understands you and loves you in a way that maybe you don't love yourself yet, mm-hmm. even. So, thank you. Of course, because you do. You you have believed in me for longer than I believed in myself. But I do think also for you coming up at that time, you were before your time. It was almost like it was before the world was ready for you, and that's why you were in going in between these like two steps forward, one back. Yeah, I remember you saying that thing that your dad always said to you, and I can't imitate your dad, although I do it all the time, but not. for public (laughs) saying like I sent I sent you to Harvard and for you to like wait in line to play a hooker or some some gist of like no to like wait in line with 90,000 other people for a job right yeah and he's right he's not wrong but he also was like you have to be really good at two things and I think that was his way of just being like you can put your eggs in a basket, but like just have like another basket next to it because then there's there's all you can when this is slowing down, you can go focus on this. And then if there's some, you know, relationship between the two things you're 
can are good at, then there's just so much more opportunity and so much less risk in a way, you know. Mm-hmm. I think he just didn't want me to ever just fully sign off on one part of myself, maybe because he saw that I would be better, my life would be better if I focused on more than one thing. Because mm-hmm. like him, I mean, you know, he's he's just relentless like he just doesn't stop and that's partially because he has lots of interests you know Mm -hmm. I think I have a little bit of that but I think you're right in the sense that like the world changed so much as I came of age in the business like even just the multi-hyphenate like female creator thing wasn't like trendy there was like trailblazers and people that I always looked to Carrie Fisher or Lane May or Nancy Myers or Nora Ephron but it wasn't like a thing. Now it's like popping everywhere for everybody. And then in terms of like identity stuff, same, like, you know, the way that I looked being mixed race and looking the way I looked, there were so few people that looked like me on TV and in film that, you know, when I would go in for auditions, like I was immediately put in a basket based on the way I look, which is, you know, it's a visual medium, but there wasn't like a ton of baskets. So Mm -hmm. it wasn't like, you know, People, I, you know, I go to an audition, they're like, Rashida Jones? Where's Rashida Jones? I'm like, I'm Rashida Jones, and I, I look like this. This is what I look like. But Yeah, I mean, this probably isn't the right way to say it, but in, in one ways, you're not enough of one thing in either direction. I, I've been like that my whole life yeah. with everything, with being black, being Jewish, being an academic, being, you know, a, a, a lover of culture, being... I've just been in between forever. And... You know, I've I've had to come to some stasis and acceptance that, like, it may just always be like that, but now it's okay. Because I think, like, you know, there's there's things are less binary in a lot of mm-hmm. very good ways for for young people, and that's that benefits me too, in, in a sense, because I don't I don't feel like I have to hunker down into one area and and never explore any other facet of myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to me, it's. Obviously, I can't speak to the being biracial and all that, but I do find like the in-between is sometimes where the exciting stuff happens Mm. and where the real challenge is. Mm. And if you, you know, the real information and growth is, is is not in the, in the high or not in the low. It's like that weird area. Yeah. And that's, I mean, in a, in a weird way that's celebrated now and that's great. And then in an, in an opposite way, it's not celebrated. There is a lot of like kind of big explosive declarations that are happening in terms of identity right now that I think is worrisome because like everybody's everything in a weird way. And, and I, and as much as I think it's helpful to like bring people forward by like really, really, you know, pressing down on one particular issue or identity, I'm, it just like worries me for, for kids who feel a little bit caught in the middle and don't want to necessarily declare themselves one thing forever, Mm -hmm. you know? When did you feel confident as an actress? What was what was the part or the role that you're like, oh, I got this. This is this is what I'm supposed to be doing. I think, you know, I've always had a pretty, I think, healthy and accurate understanding of myself as a performer. Like, I'm not a method actor. I've I've taken a lot of classes and training and stuff, but I'm not. I think probably where I do my best is to be the most like me. Um, and I've always had confidence in comic timing because that was sort of like the stuff that, that just felt the most comfortable to me. So in college, I felt like 
the comedies and stuff I did. I did a show my freshman year, spring freshman year, called Love, Sex, and the IRS. Wouldn't say it was a great play, <laughs> but um, my co-star, um, Mike Schur, played my boyfriend. And um, it was just like a farce. It was like a, just kind of a dumb farce. Um, and I met – it's really weird because I, like, met all of my – collaborators that I would work with for years and years to come my freshman year of college Dan Gore and Mike Schur and like all these people that I still work with which is crazy but um but yeah I just felt like I felt comfortable in comic timing like that felt like I could you know do that good enough Mm -hmm. to like maybe do something with it in the future you know Mm -hmm. I think of your relationship with Amy and Parks and Rex for me as the point where you were like singing, soaring. Right. Yeah. Be- and maybe that's because it was Aubrey and the, you know, Amy and your cast and the com- camaraderie and just the fun that it was to show up and go to work. Yeah. Well, it is, it's definitely, um, it's a really good advertisement for what can happen when you're amongst people that you love and respect and and you feel safe to kind of just do whatever you want to do to mm-hmm. explore your character like there there was such a nice balance on that show of an incredible team of writers and then also like this trust that Mike had in us to just kind of like go with it and find things within within like the just shooting that became like part of the character and like Amy especially has been such a dear friend and champion of mine and like those the scenes that we do like as friends as Anna Leslie in that in in that show are so fun like a lot of times the spy camera would be so far away from us like 30 feet away from us 40 feet away from us and it would just be us in a room for like three hours just like you know talking exploring like just being like very very silly um and it was so intimate that it didn't really feel like work it just felt like we were hanging out um, but she let me she almost like let me find my comic voice in a way because it's not you know, I'm not like I I play friends. I play girl supportive girlfriends. I've always been a bit of like the straight man to mm-hmm. some really talented, incredible comedians. But she I don't know, she kind of infused me with like a value that 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 had value, you know, on the show. And, it, and I feel like it does have value. There's got to be there always has to be a bit of balance mm-hmm. with the straight guy. Mm-hmm. That's been one of my um, great life's pleasures of being your friend is I've been able to be around Amy once in a while. And she is just such a great person, just like so grounded. And yeah. you feel better around her. Even yeah. Though she just makes you feel better about yourself just by virtue of, of being in the same room. I don't know. It's a very bizarre she's thing she, to say but she really has that she does she's so she's so real and she's really good at in a way like you are too where she can like she can find the like seed of what's great about somebody or somebody's performance or like the she just gets to the heart of the meaning of something really quick whether mm-hmm. it's a person or a scene mm-hmm. or a character mm-hmm. love that yeah such great she's a real one so it's, it's good uh and then writing. So we're going to get to 
your show, which I'm obsessed with, but I'm like kind of holding it back because I want to. <laughs> I'm like the editor in me is like, let's lead up to that moment. <laughs> uh, the writing. I also we could talk about that part with Celeste and Jesse forever, where that was kind of born out of you know, necessity is a breed of invention, basically. Like, wait, I'm going to write something that I know about and I'm going to create this part for myself. And that is just such an excellent film and such a great piece of writing about relationships and and something that for all of us at that time was very ripe. Uh, was that a switch for you to do that? Was Did that take – what got you to that point where you were ready to write for yourself? I mean – Necessity and then, like, anger, frustration, um, vengeance. Like, I wouldn't say it was all, like, this amazing, evolved person that came to that place. Like, it it came out of some real darkness and feelings. And our mm-hmm. friend Will McCormick, who is my longtime partner and creative soulmate, we had been talking about writing forever and just, like, drinking coffee and just, like, bullshitting for mm-hmm. years. And... I had this idea and I think he was like really ready to write and I was really I was really ready to feel like I had something else to offer besides just being like a for hire person, whatever that meant. Um, And I think without the pressure of like, look, every actor in L.A. is writing a screenplay. So like, who cares? Um, And that's kind of a good thing. We were like, let's just sit down every day until we finish something and see if it's worth anything. Mm -hmm. Let's send it to some friends, get some notes back. Um, And this idea resonated with him, which was like having this the, your first big love your first mature relationship where you're like I got this like we're going to be married and we're going to be married forever and then it doesn't work out and then what do you do with what's left over like can you salvage anything from that friendship that became young love or do you have to let it go to have it come back to you like what is the heartbreak of the you know the kind of push and pull of like trying to keep that person in your life who you grew up with essentially mm-hmm. and then you kind of have to let go of um And then I think, you know, it became something else as like Will and I lent our like singular voices and then our collective voice to the to the writing of it. Um, But it is it's it's crazy. Like people still come up to us and like start crying and talk about how much it resonated with them at a time when they really like needed Mm -hmm. to, to show like to have that reflected back to them like you know, that first relationship that you really have decided is going to define your life and then it doesn't. Mm-hmm. Like there's something so specific about that heartbreak. It's like almost worse than like your first puppy love heartbreak mm-hmm. because you think you've got it figured out. Well, the choices subsequently that you make after that and yeah. what happens and obviously for that film in particular, some big ones and yeah. some accidents and some unforeseen circumstances. Yeah. And I think also like the first big failure yeah. where you're like, oh, OK, I actually will be defined in my future as by, by my failures and how I handle my failure as opposed to like all these like successful choices I've made. Like sometimes life happens and shit happens and then it's like, how do you deal with that shit? That's mm-hmm. who makes you. That's what builds character. That's who makes you who you are. Um, but but just being able to sit down and write that with a friend was hugely empowering to me. I mean, it was like, you know, it was a grind, obviously, and didn't did not feel like a success for a very long time. Mm -hmm. Probably now is when I'm like, oh, that was such a huge turning point in my life. Um, Just to to gain that confidence as a writer and and have people treat me as a writer. 
in a way that I like didn't I felt insecure about that. I always wanted to be a writer, but I like came came up with like all my all these friends who worked for the Lampoon at, mm-hmm. at you know at Harvard and um I didn't feel, I wasn't anointed a writer, so like how was I going to get into that and in, like in my 30s. But you know, it just was like taking the risk and being okay with it being a failure. There's so much failure in writing. Mm-hmm. There just is. It's inherent. But and you it, guys have had a lot of success too. We, it's absolutely kind of amazing. I mean, how many shows? I can't keep track. But we we like happened into producing because <laughs> we also were just like wanted to get Celeste and Jesse made, and like it was at the time when we were watching like the collapse of like indie film mm-hmm. in real time, and like every time we'd sell the movie to a company, they would like literally fall apart in the next six months. And we were like just shutting down small studios all over yeah. town. I remember that was like four studios, Fox Atomic. It was insane. And then, three, yeah. yeah, three or four. And then finally we were like, just went rogue. And we got it like independently financed, which was like a miracle. Um, but it was like such a quick, hard lesson in producing. And you know, shepherded by our friend Jennifer Todd, who, like, has been doing it forever. Like, it was a real steep learning curve. But because of that, then we became interested in, like, the process of working with writers and really supporting them to have their vision realized in a a way, like, at a time when, like, TV has now become, like, indie film, where it's like, oh, you can actually tell your story and you don't have to be bogged down by development. And, you know, sometimes you are, but, like, there, it's this boom, like we're you know we're in the, this gold rush of TV. So um, I don't know, we just kind of fell into it, and now we have all these like incredible projects under our belt. And I think if we have any skill set, which I, I don't even know what it is, it's probably just like talking to writers and understanding that process enough to like advocate for them at times when they're like, I don't know what this is anymore. I just don't even know. Mm-hmm. Being like, yes, you do. You do. And this is what you came in the room with. And this is what you still know about the show. And this is what's great about it. And this is what's great about you. Mm-hmm. I feel like a light switch went off. I mean, it is. You have clauses on yeah. TV right Filming now, its right? fourth season. Wow. Yeah. It's a big, big hit for TNT. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a great show. It's a, it's a very singular, peculiar yeah. show. The people who love it, love it hard. Um, and that's kind of like, I think what Will and I like to work with is like things that people grab onto and like it means so much to them. It doesn't have to mean everything to everybody. Mm-hmm. It's like just needs like a little audience of people who believe in it. Mm-hmm. Um, but we have a couple shows that are going to be on Quibi. Um, that are like very strange and wonderful. Um, we were developing a show for AMC um, called "Am I Allowed to Curse?" Ke- Kevin can fuck yeah. himself, um, which is sort of like a subversion of the standard American multicam um, format, and about a woman who's sort of like in a multi stuck in a multicam and then finds her single cam life and decides that she needs to get rid of her husband um, in order to survive and mm-hmm. thrive. Um, yeah, we just have all these, like, cool, interesting, weird projects that, like, have we've been lucky enough to be mm-hmm. involved with. So, And then you you came into the Netflix family with Quincy, right? Or is there something before yeah. that? Uh, no, Hot Girls Wanted. Hot Girls Wanted, yeah. right, which got an Emmy. Nominated for an Emmy. Well, okay. In my mind, you see, in I your mind, you had an Emmy. That's, okay. <laughs> That's a classic. Yes, you won. What do you mean? You're nominated. You won in my mind. Yeah. You won in my mind. Uh, Hot girls want it, right? The the porn 
phase of your career, right? Is that an <laughs> yeah. accurate way? Yeah, the exploration. Well, yeah. really the exploration of porn and technology and sexuality mm-hmm. for young women. How is that? How are you feeling about that now since you've, you've talked about it, you've written about it, you did the series about it? It's very complicated. I think the world has changed for the better since we released that movie in the sense that, like, there's there's a lot more kind of positive, sex-positive representation for women um, that actually feels empowering to women where they can explore their sexuality in a way that doesn't have this sort of, like, binary, like, this is bad and this is good. I think... You know, my experience with Hot Girls Wanted was, and with Turned On, the series, was very painful because, um, you know, we were sort of, there is a line when it comes to porn. And I think the people who are porn performers and who work in the industry feel very, rightfully so, very sensitive about their work and feeling marginalized. And, and anybody who kind of contributes to that marginalization, they don't look upon kindly, especially if it's people who are not in the industry. Mm-hmm. I totally get that. Um, and I, you know, it's a real shame because I really wanted to be a part of opening up a conversation. And I think for some people it did. And for some people it shut down the conversation in the sense that I am not, I'm in no way anti-porn. I'm in no way anti sex work and and I think you know I'm so I'm so saddened by the fact that it became that black and white because the truth is like we really wanted to shine light in a very specific part of the industry and a very specific group of girls who had a very specific experience which may or may not be emblematic for other people in the industry but you know it was it, the intent of it was to talk about the industry as a whole and how we can improve upon the experience of women in the industry. Period. And there's good there's good examples and there's bad examples. And and in the series, we really try to elucidate both. Mm-hmm. Like you know, I talked to this wonderful woman, Erica Lust, who has her own subscription based erotic film uh, company out of. Barcelona, where it's like a full celebration of sex and women and the desires of women. And then we also talked about like race and porn, which is still appalling. Like the the stereotypes of race and black men in porn is still, it's so backwards and it's only acceptable because it's under the auspices of fantasy. But like in no other industry would we be okay with the way black men are treated in porn. Mm-hmm. Um so, like, there's so much to talk about, and I, I, I hope that people continue the conversation. I feel a little, um, like, tapped out because, I, because I'm not in the industry, and I feel like more and more people want to see and hear from voices that represent things within, within, a, within a group. And, and I, I fully encourage that, and I hope people continue to talk about it. But I'm, I just I think it was intended to strike up conversation mm-hmm. and you know I, I just hope that work continues I just like it was it was it was hard going for a while you know because mm-hmm. I felt like it was the the, the movie and the series was a bit misunderstood I, I stand by it and I feel like it it really um, was representative for the most part of the people that we worked with and we tried really hard to make sure that those people felt like full multi-dimensional characters and that they felt good about how mm-hmm. they were represented. But it's a very 
it's a very tricky, it's complicated. Mm -hmm. It's tricky. Mm -hmm. um, Quincy. Mm -hmm. That's tricky too. Yeah. <laughs> in its own way. But in its way. A totally different way of doing a, a documentary on your father yeah. and the family and his legacy and the history and your place in it and um, the weight of that. Mm. Mm. It was a beautiful film. I loved it. I watched it many times. Thank you. Thanks. I mean, he's a beautiful dude. And he's so he's so successful. And that's great. But it also means that I don't think people really ever until now got to know him as a person. And that who he is as a person is inexorably tied to why he's successful. And it's not just because he's a hard worker and... Um, extremely talented it's also because he is resilient and in, in an unbelievable unmatched way and he's like fully coming at life with love in, in like a survival way like he is a um he's fierce about his commitment to approaching his life with love mm -hmm. in a way I don't think I've ever seen anybody else mm -hmm. and so that that kind of like aggressive love bomb is the reason why he is where he is, mm -hmm. why he's alive, why he's thriving, why he, why he's successful, why he has that crazy preternatural gift of seeing a ta somebody's talent and then like rising it to the absolute ultimate version of what they're capable of doing. Mm -hmm. When when you were growing up, did you recognize that, or was he still just your dad that was up all night. I had nothing to compare it to. Yeah. So, like, you know, my that was my norm. My norm is, you know, my nocturnal, hardworking dad who, you know, was making this and all this incredible stuff. I mean, I was like loved his music, but I, but then again, like I, I, you know, he was my dad. I loved everything about him. Yeah. So it could have been anything, and I thought it, it, it probably would have been good. It just like helped, you know, shape my taste. But um, but yeah, I don't think it was until much much later that I was like, oh, this is not normal. <laughs> like yeah. this is not, this is not what most people are, are dealing with in their lives. Um, and then I think like I, as I've gotten older, I've just appreciated him more and more and more as a, as a historical figure, mm -hmm. a living historical figure, and, and as a friend, and as a mentor, really, because, you know. He's just this, he's this, he's just a living jewel. He's done so much for so many people. Um, and he's pushed through so many um, impossible odds to mm -hmm. be where he is. And, and, uh, and he's so meaningful. And I think I like really wanted to make sure that that was in stone forever you know, like lived lived in people's minds forever the way he should be thought of. Mm -hmm. It was interesting that you say that he comes at stuff with so much love because uh, it is going to be a cliche, but he does kind of make his own luck by the by virtue of the person that he is, mm. of the decisions that he's made mm -hmm. and leaning into the positive and not the negative. Right. Well, I mean, you know, his health is a perfect example and it's in the movie like – we spent so much time. He went. He collapsed. He went to the hospital. It's in the movie. He had. He went to diabetic shock, and we spent so much time as a family talking about how we were going to talk to him about his drinking when he woke up. 
and how we're going to try to get in his head that it's like at 82, you can't drink like that. Mm-hmm. Diabetic 82. And he, you know, after four days in ICU, came out and was like, yeah, I'm not drinking anymore. Like, oh, you're such a beast. Like, who? <laughs> we don't even have to have the conversation. He is so he is so wired to survive yeah. Yeah. that he's just like, I got this. And he he says all the time, and it's so annoying because I'm like, Dad, you have to eat better. You have to do this. And he's like, Honey, you didn't get me to 86. I got here all by myself. And like, in some ways, he's completely right. He did. You know, he's a I survivor. I love when you do your dad. It's my favorite. <laughs> I love it. It's so good. No, I love that movie. I loved I, I just seen your, your whole family through it and and understanding, too, from the outside, like that was an crazy environment that you grew up in that you were privy to between mm-hmm. like Michael Jackson and the hugest hits. I mean, everywhere, anywhere, we were all listening to that music and what we felt about it and how it made us feel and the dancing. And he was part of that. It's just like nuts when it's, you think about it. it yeah. It's true. The historic figure you're you're a living witness to to history it blows my mind it's not lost on me like every Mm -hmm. single time I go out and we're dancing on a dance floor and like you're not gonna ever go a whole night of dancing without one of my dad's bangers coming Mm -hmm. on like whether it's Michael or George Benson or the Mm -hmm. Brothers Johnson or it's Shaka Khan like it's just ridiculous Patty Mm -hmm. Austin it's just insane Mm -hmm. All right. Let's talk about hashtag black AF, as in black as fuck. Okay. I feel like everything up to this, everything in your life and and uh, career has led to you being in this show, which is you. I'll, I'll just set it up for for those listening. You and Kenya Barris. You uh, play basically, he plays himself mm-hmm. and you're playing his wife, mm-hmm. although the names have been changed. Right? Some. <laughs> Some, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not his. Yeah. He's still Kenya. You're Joya. Uh, you've got six kids. And it's just such a, gr- the way it's shot is incredible with the, you know, the the conceit of the video for your your daughter and the way we get to know each other and the topics that you guys talk about. One, I'm laughing out loud, and obviously for me, it's it's like perfect musty TV for KMS. <laughs> but uh, you wrote on this too, didn't you? Weren't you part of the process? I directed the third episode. You did direct it, mm-hmm. and was executive producer. So you know, there's like, and and also we improved and stuff. So yeah, yeah. So tell me about getting. Kenya, okay, first of all, how that happened to get you back on television, get you back doing that that work week and in that kind of um, rhythm again. Well, Ken, I've known Kenya socially for a long time, um, and he, we were, like, at a party, and he was like, I want to do a show. Do you want to do it with me? And I was like, yeah, sure, great, <laughs> um, because I have always been an admirer of his, and mm-hmm. I love his hustle, but also he's a great writer. He's mm-hmm. a really funny, really great writer. So funny. And I mean, so all this funny. stuff about social media, all this stuff about race, all this stuff about the industry. I know. And with kids, raising kids. I mean, you know, I have, like, two boys. I talk about it on the show a lot, and... I mean, you know, you're a mom, but like you're not there yet, but you see it. Yeah. He is spot on. Yeah. He, yeah, it's real for him. I mean, he's got six kids. We have six kids on the show and his relationship, like he's, he's got this like, 
this wonderful quality where he can be in his life and observe his life all at the same time. And this show is emblematic of that. And like, uh, he's not afraid to take the piss out of himself. He's, he's, he's a seeker. Like he's like a, he's a seeker and he's analytical and he's also really funny. And he also wants to be a part of the, of the culture. So like, it's all, it's all of that kind of like playing against, you know, itself. But, but I think for me, what was really appealing is like, you know, hearkening back to when I first started auditioning and like the buckets that I had to be put into because of the way I looked like, this is almost like the first time that I really get to be, I mean, I, on Blackish, I play, um, Bo's sister, mm-hmm. Santa Monica, which was mm-hmm. super fun because I'm a little bit of like a shapeshifter and like don't know who I am and like I'm like just a grifter. But on this, I get to play like a black woman, you know, with a black family. And that's really appealing to me. That's a huge part of who I am. And and like he let me do that. And it's, you know, my friends know me as that, but it, maybe I haven't had an opportunity to play that as much publicly so definitely not no the the black joya the starbucks yeah, thing black was joya. hilarious <laughs> when you but i thought that 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 speech in a particular scene that it you know a particular episode about you know are you black enough and always right. having to answer to that right. and always being caught in between yeah. and your daughter kind of thing. giving you shit about it it was yeah. so real that's a real thing and and yeah. i think you know we and the fact that kenya let let the show talk about these issues like when you're mixed race like you have to be blacker than anybody else because like you're already like you've already lost points for being light and having you know whatever hair you have whatever eyes you have so like you better know everything there's like a run I do on the show where I'm like um, you know, no, no, name all the Wayans brothers, name the Jackson five, name the Central Park five. Like there are things that you have to know. Like you, mm-hmm. there's a currency, you know, and the dancing and the dancing is part of the currency. So, you know, and that, listen, this is not to say anything. This is not a struggle. This is just like my specific experience that happens to also be my character's experience. Yeah. Like, and you know, we have fun with it and, and get to laugh about it. It's, you know, it's just part of many, many issues that come in the spectrum of black excellence and mm-hmm. what it means to be black, who owns blackness, who owns the excellence, you know, and how you don't fuck up your kids when mm-hmm. you have a lot of new money. Right. And access. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and then there's also relatable par- parenting stuff, too, that's just for everybody. Well, the scene you know? in the nightclub is hilarious. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh. that, this is great. All those scenes. But it's true. Like, how do you not fuck up your kids? I'm looking at that show for answers. What do you do with social media? <laughs> did you find any answers? What did you do with the drugs? Well, I like the way Joy is relaxed about it. I'm uptight. Very. very yeah. I'm uptight. Yeah. And I like that your character. She wants to be friends with her kids. Kind of, yeah. but she's she's trying to find that balance of like, am I going to freak out over the the YouTube or the Instagram video or the bikinis? It seems like too much, but mm. that's what the peer group is doing. Mm. So at what point, you know, do you override that and then you, you just become overbearing mm. and tone deaf? Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I know with kids that keep you young, too, you're aware of all the stuff and you're like, oh, my God, I didn't even know about this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you learn about those rules. And when I, my kids are always say to me, like, it's not difficult for us. It's just difficult for you because you're old. Right. That God, that's good. so astute. They say that to you? Well, 
my older one. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah, he was born 50, though. So right, right. It's just hard for you, Mom, not him. for me. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I think also Kenya was so young when he had kids. Like, he was a baby. Mm-hmm. So a lot of this is, like, him trying to figure out, like, how to be— how to enjoy his success and also be youthful in a way that's not embarrassing to his kids. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, that's like us going to a rave and like running into our God. daughter and being so high. Like, what a nightmare. <laughs> You're taking mom out of here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. oh, my God. It's so good. I love the way it's shot, too. Yeah. Yeah, I think we were like, you know, I think we both, I, I've spent so much time in the mockumentary world mm-hmm. and, it's so great. It's become this kind of like secondhand for um, for sitcom in a way mm-hmm. because it's taken over really for sitcom. And I think the camera is the audience. And so like somebody looks at a camera and it's your cue to laugh. It's like the mm-hmm. audience's permission to laugh. But I think the framework of like our daughter applying to college and wanting to be a filmmaker and also us having all this money so like we can actually have production value and it yep. makes sense and she's like ugh like I wanted to shoot it on my phone and my dad has like a total a full crew cuz like he wants to look good and mom wants yeah. to look good <laughs> um, it's such a funny conceit yeah. you know um and it's so specific to this family um and she you know like Iman who plays Drea is so so phenomenal yeah the cat the kids are the kids are so good and she was literally there everything we shot like she was she was like the filmmaker she was like standing with the dp and the cameraman Mm -hmm. and the director of the episode and was like learning about like how to be a director which is like i think you feel it in the show Mm -hmm. yeah you do it's it's great yeah it's just a home run yeah thanks slam Dunk. Ridiculous, ridiculous yeah. people. <laughs> Kenya's a ridiculous person. He is so, so talented, but also, like, he's crazy. What's he doing? Like, he's fully giving access to his life. Like, literally, you know, our set was exactly his house. Like, that house is his house. So we shot half of it at his real home and half of it wow. on a set that was the exact replica of his real home. It was, like, some weird fucked up experiment like psychological experiment that I don't really understand where like he's I don't know is it cathartic for him have you talked to him about it I think he's just confused Mm -hmm. no I I mean I'm sure I'm sure it's a bit cathartic for him um but I don't his metric of like life and art and the blending is something I'll never understand Mm -hmm. we're very different that way Mm -hmm. like he's working some shit out and I'm just letting him do it yeah (laughs) just just hoping the ride yeah well it's funny because you're the opposite you're very private I'm so private like there's going to be no set that looks like my house anytime soon Mm -hmm. um but it's funny like we're it's a funny combo for us too because I'm like how it's good in a way because I'm so protective of my life that I always want to take personal things in my life and then couch it in like a character that is very different from me. So in a in a weird way, like it's we, we complement each other well because I'm like, how is that going to work outside of you processing your shit? Like, how can we make this accessible to everybody mm-hmm. in a way that's not necessarily just you like in therapy, mm-hmm. you know, and I think he's grateful for that partnership because I am I'm pretty honest with him mm-hmm. what you what did you learn about yourself having this experience with him and with being on that set being an executive producer having to go toe-to-toe this is the first time that I've been well Angie Tribeca you know I was very involved right. in the beginning and Steve and Nancy Carell like had a had a strong vision and then I think like Ira and I really I did love that helped show. shape that I love that show too I, I love just, it so much yeah 
is it will. It's All I ever the, wanted to do was be on Angie Tribeca. I, I miss my opportunity. I know. It's so great. <laughs> it's it's so great. But it was such a heightened style yes. that we had to be true to and like respectful of this of the style and the genre of like that kind of comedy. Mm-hmm. Whereas this, like, we had to build something from scratch, which is terrifying and 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 complicated because like you know there's some tonal things we're borrowing from other sources but it's like Kenya's life and I felt responsible to him to like really make sure that that was it was true in that way but also built something new that's like a third party and also he already has a universe with blackish and Mm grownish and mixes like he's got a universe like how do we make something distinct enough that it's like that can live on its own and then we can be a separate universe but then also kind of mingle with that universe so it doesn't feel like we're leaving that behind it it was it was um it was complicated and i i felt like grateful to be there from the ground up because i've never done that before Mm -hmm. it was a new challenge really Mm -hmm. um all right so i ask everybody this question because i'm obsessed with what you're obsessed with so what are you obsessed with that would surprise me or surprise people Mm. What am I obsessed with that would surprise people? I don't think anything's surprising anymore. I mean, there's a lot of things I'm obsessed with that wouldn't surprise people. Okay, so tell me what you're obsessed with. Cheer. Yeah. I mean, who's well, not? Hello, you're speaking to, on the mat. I mean, I, I saw that the first second. I don't know, for whatever reason, I happened to hit it the second it it landed on the platform, and that was it. And I went in that Monday and was like, the crazy... Okay, boomer lady. Oh my God, cheer! Oh, 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 you can't. And I realized, oh, my old job's looking like my new job today because that's what I used to do at Vanity right. Fair. Obviously, is be like, that's gonna be huge. Right, right. And I was very happy that I got co- Coach um, Monica, Monica here in that chair where you're oh sitting. It was a big I highlight. I feel so honored. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If I could have just a perce- a tiny modicum of modicum of Monica's. Yeah. Um, like demeanor mm-hmm. and calm, cool head in the face of injury, <laughs> I would be, I think, just doing a much better job in my life. Mm-hmm. She's amazing. I want I want Monica as my life coach. I want Mo- I want a combination of Monica and Jerry on mm-hmm. either side of me, just like mm-hmm. pushing me to be better and then just being like love and making me feel like I can do anything. Mm-hmm. Be great. Well, I I know what I'm obsessed with that that you're yeah. That you're obsessed with, okay. that I want to be obsessed with, okay. is the dancing. Oh, the, yeah. The hip-hop yeah. exercise yeah. that you've done for ages. Yeah. Who is that guy that you dance with? And it's on Instagram, so Havoc. I'm not blowing a secret. No, 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 no. Havoc. He's amazing. So could he, could Havoc take someone like me who's challenged? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, not terribly challenged, but challenged. Do you think I could do that? Because totally. that, that's like on my bucket list of totally things I want to do. And with you, I want to figure out. Come. I yeah, feel like if come. I was behind you, I could maybe mirror a I'm little bit. I'm always behind him, and I'm always only looking at him and not myself. The whole thing was born out of, I mean, I grew up hip-hop dancing with my friends. We used to go to this little spot called Regina's that was on Gower next to Roscoe's, and we'd mm-hmm. go Monday nights. With Lance, who was one of Madonna's dancers, and we'd take hip-hop class from Lance, and we'd go to Roscoe's right after. It was, like, every Monday night in high school. and But it had been a long time, and I went with a friend of mine 
to Havoc's class, and it was all, like, teenagers, and we had a simultaneous collective panic attack because we couldn't figure out, like, how to keep up. Um, And after the class, I stuck it out. It was a disaster. After the class, I just went up to Havoc, and I said, is there any way that you would do privates with me? I just, like, I can't keep up with this pace, and, like, I want to get better, and I don't know how. And he was like, yeah, sure, great. And so that was, like, a little over a year ago. And I've just been really regular about it. And I see him once a week. And he just, I love his style. I love the cool that he brings. Like like the way the way I was brought up with hip hop, it's like you hit everything so hard. You hit everything on the beat. And it's not like that anymore. It's like everything's like a gesture, like a subtle gesture to like uh, almost a dance step. But like you never like, he teaches it in a very complex, specific way. But then when you see it all together, it's like there's just little places where he hits hits the mark. But the rest of it's sort of like you're just kind of in your own head. It's like you're almost like marking the routine. And it's a whole new way of dance for me. So like I'm I'm having to retrain myself. And like week after week, I get a tiny little bit better. Mm-hmm. And I feel a tiny little less lame. Mm-hmm. Um I'm not all the way there. And then once in a while I go back to his class to be like, how am I doing with all these like actual professional, incredible, like young dancers? I'm like, oh, I'm still garbage. Okay, cool. Let me go back and work with Havoc a little bit more. He's so patient with me, though. He's so great. Mm -hmm. He's so patient. Mm -hmm. I like really relish our time together every week. Mm -hmm. That's the best. What what are you listening to these days? What am I listening to? Um... That's a really good question, Krista. I need you to make me a playlist. Yeah, I'm like, I am still feel like I'm just digging in the crates because I still like, I like my music. Mm-hmm. I like my old music. But there's a couple like young R&B people that I really like, like Snow Allegra. I really like her. I mean, I'm always listening to Frank Ocean just because mm-hmm. I'm always listening to Frank Ocean. I love Anderson Pack. No worries. Like I love everything that he um touches um i listen to daniel caesar i like i still listen a lot to solange like um i just i'm like i get stuck in my like four albums and i just don't listen to anything else Mm -hmm. go on rotation yeah yeah uh well it's excellent to see you you're gonna have to come back in again and and yeah in another bit of time Anytime. to catch up to see what else you're doing. Because yeah. you are your father's daughter, by the way. I know. I just hope I'm like, I mean, I that's a huge compliment. I just like, I think that I'm, I'm probably a little more interested in like retiring life than my dad. Like I really, I, I like fetishize this idea of like sitting by a lake and reading a book or writing a book and taking 10 years to do that in a way that, I don't think he's still like travels all the time and he's like the last person at any party. He hangs, you know, like I'm a little bit more quiet. Yeah, but I, <laughs> I could think. see you doing that for two weeks and then being like, wait, what am I doing? <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe. Wait, I gotta I write see. this. I, I, gotta, gotta I gotta see. I gotta like yeah. try it at least, you know? Yeah. But um, no. I think, you no, I think you'd me? be blissful for like three days and then get to five and be like, yeah, this is great. And then by 10 days, you'd be like, well, I don't know. What about that? And maybe by the two-week mark, you might be slipping back into doing things. That, that's my my opinion. Okay. We'll see. We'll track it. <laughs> we'll track it. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Good to see you. You too. Thanks so much for joining me. 
Please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast wherever you've been listening. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Krista Smith. Join me next time for more meaningful conversations here at Present Company.